Hi, welcome. Today on Ask a Pastor, I'm joined by Evan Brem. Evan leads our middle school ministry, part of our student ministry staff on our Wexford campus. Welcome, Evan. Thank you. And today we are going to jump into some questions. As always, if you have questions, feel free to send them along to Ask a Pastor at OrchardHillChurch.com. We'd love to address those in a coming episode. Uh, Also, if you found this content helpful, please just take a moment and uh, either follow the content, um, like the content, leave a review, uh, wherever you're getting this content on social media, uh, or if you're listening on the radio, just simply enjoy. So Evan, here's the first question. All right. Uh, It says, I have a question that I've asked in the past of other followers of Christ with no answer. Uh, So the setup is, I've asked the question, yeah. no one's answered it well. And so we're going to put you on the spot and see right, if you can answer it, it well. If God's creation were made perfect before the fall, where or how did Adam and Eve, I guess it would go even before that to Satan as such, even get the desire to go against God's will? And then here's the real kicker, because mm-hmm. uh, the, the question is basically, if God created everything perfect, then where at all did this idea come from? Right. And then they said, I guess I'm looking for a deeper answer than just glossing over the typical free will answer. Yeah. So, so the, what the person's saying is, I expect that you're going to say, well, God gave people choice. And in giving people choice, that's where sin came from. And this person right. is saying, I want to understand something more than just that quick answer that God gave people choice and therefore they sin. So yeah. what would you say? Yeah, and, and the reason I would imagine that um, this person hasn't gotten an answer that's satisfied them before is because there isn't just a clear verse you can go to on this that says, well, this is what it says in Genesis, and that's why sin came into the world. Um, but I think biblically there's a good place to start. Is there are definitely two things, at least two things, that we can't say about this situation that are clear in scripture. So the first thing I would say that, that we can't say is that in some way, uh, in sin being brought into the world, did God sin or is God to blame for that sin? Um, because God, as we know him, is, is perfect, is completely just, completely right. Um, I got a couple verses for this. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, um, he is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just, a faithful God who does no wrong upright and just as he. Um, and then Job 34.10 says, So listen to me, you men of understanding, far be it from God to do evil, from the Almighty to do wrong. So um, part of, of my foundational, I believe, a biblical foundational um, belief of God is that he can do no wrong, that he is completely just in his ways. Um, and so I think something we can't say is that God sinned by bringing sin into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's your first thing. What's your second? The second thing I think that we can't say is also that God wasn't surprised when sin was brought into the world, and he, he, he wasn't overpowered. It, was, it wasn't like, oh, whoa, Satan really got the best of me on that one and, and snuck that into the garden there. Um, because also, um, another verse, Ephesians 1.11, there's plenty of verses that we can go to when talking about the supremacy and, and the power of God. Um, but Ephesians 1.11, I liked it. Um, the second half of it says this, talking about God, him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Um, just a really simple, simple, but tr- extremely true and extremely impactful statement that if God works out everything in the purpose of his will, um, then sin and its presence in our world did have to be ordained 
by him. And I think the tricky part is we have to get at what is the difference between causing and doing and ordaining or allowing. Okay. So let me just, I, I, I appreciate those two points. I hear where you're coming from. Um, agree basically with what you just said, but for the sake of, yeah. of conversation here and probably what's behind even this question is, okay, so what you've just said is God didn't cause it, but God caused it. Mm-hmm. He ordained it. He yeah. let it go. He yeah. knew it was happening. And if God's perfect, God had to let it, had to know it was coming, had to allow it. Yeah. So somehow, even though you say God didn't cause sin, I look at the world that's messed up, all the brokenness, all the things that are wrong, and say God knew at a minimum when he created this is what he would have created. Yeah. So how then do we not turn around and say God is responsible for evil? How, how, do, you, how do you do that sidestep? Because, yeah. because if, you, if you play that back, at some point you have to say, if God really is all-powerful, right. all-knowing, all-everything, even if he didn't cause it, even if I, I grant you that, he knew, he allowed it, mm-hmm. and in that somehow there's some culpability. Yeah, so, yeah. And I think one, one of the verses, I can't get the exact verse off the top of my head, but Paul writes in Romans, um, he says, who is, I'm paraphrasing here, I'm not quoting exactly, but who is the, the clay basically to say to the potter, what have you done with me? What have you made me into? And that's relating more to um, the issue of election. And, um, but I think it still relates to that. Who, who are we to say to God and to try to understand his plan of, of wow, God, you did this wrong. You really messed something up here because his ways are just are, are so much higher than ours. And I think that being able to take that sidestep definitely takes a great amount of faith and a great amount of trust in him. But I think it's a necessary sidestep in that, okay, I trust God and his sovereignty and his perfect nature and his perfectly just and loving nature that this is something that is happening for his glory. Um, and you know, we get to talk about the next question about the new heaven and the new earth, and, and, and that is just part of um, the process towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is a really broken down analogy here, but I'm sure that there, you know, being a pastor of such a big church, there's people who would tell you how to do your job. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are, you know, all suggestions are good suggestions, but um, oh, not really, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't open up, open up a Pandora's box here. But um, even, even if someone thinks the suggestion is coming from a, a place from them where, where they're like, this is, I can't believe Kurt did it this way, or this would be a really good thing for the church. N- no matter what, they're not going to be sitting in your seat and doing all the things that you're doing and know all of the different angles mm-hmm. that you know. And, and, and ultimately, we trust you to make the decision knowing all of those angles. Um, and, and so it's, it's just to the nth degree, to, to an mm-hmm. infinite times that with God, that the seat he sits in, the, the perspective from which he sees everything. And we're down here like, man, God, why'd you do it this way? But his, his perspective is so vastly mm-hmm. more perfect right. than ours. Yeah, I, I think that's a good analogy. Ultimately, you have to go to somehow creating the world as it is brought God more glory than creating a world in which there wouldn't be sin or brokenness and how that is I I don't don't have a good answer for right but but I have to go there in order to account for a world that has brokenness in it 
And um, because I do think that in a sense, the questioner has a point, and that is if you just claim free will, you still haven't really avoided the idea that God knew yeah. how this would play out right. and created it anyway. Meaning he said, this is a greater good yep. than creating a world that, that doesn't have it. And where did the desire come from? Uh, again, I think they're saying ultimately it isn't just free choice. God had to have created people in such a way that that desire existed mm -hmm. and, and had the exercise of it. Yeah. And, um, and, and an analogy I've heard that I've probably used, but I think is, is, is somewhat helpful is it would be like a, a prince who, uh, decided he fell in love with a, a woman who wasn't part in an ancient culture uh, that that um, he could go and command her to love him um, but he would never know in the exact scenario if she loved him or just responded because he was rich and had right. the crown and could punish her if she didn't and so the prince takes on uh, a commoner's kind of life wins the lady's love then reveals he's a prince in a way, that's what God has done by creating a world and letting it be broken and then saying, and I'm sending my son into the world in a way that, that it's not so obvious to everybody that, that, that it isn't that he gets to know whether we love him or not, but we get to know whether we love him or not. I don't know that that's helpful, but, but it's, a, yeah. it's another way to frame that just yeah. to, to think about that. Well, um, I'm not sure that answered the question any better. Uh, the, the person who answered may say, I still have had no good answer. Um, so uh, my suggestion would be to say, uh, if, if that's you, um, that, that we can probably point you to some works that are pretty academic that go after that. Um, and we'll see if we can put those in our show notes. Um, so uh, here's a question. How is the biblical idea of heaven or the kingdom of heaven different from the representation in modern Western culture, specifically contrasting the narrative of the ethereal cloud realm with our disembodied souls waiting at the pearly gates to the biblical um, promos, it says, of the new creation. I'm not sure if that was a, a, a misspeak, but the biblical idea of a new creation, new heaven, new earth. Mm. Yeah, and so um, before talking about the new heaven and the new earth, because um, that is something that is to come that has not um, been developed yet by God. Um, I think it's just important to touch on because they do touch on, oh, like the disembodied souls waiting at the pearly gates. Um, but there is some, at least the way I interpret a verse, some scriptural truth to our souls leaving our bodies for a time um, when we die before the new heavens and the new earth have been creation to be with God in heaven. Um, and, and the one I would look two for that would be um, 2 Corinthians 5.8. Um, Paul says, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Um, so the way I, I see that one is, is in the time from, from when people die, to when the new heaven and new earth will be created, there is like, there is absolutely no biblical evidence for something like purgatory where, where souls are waiting. There is, I believe, a promise that we are immediately when we die, spending that time with God and not just in a uh, prolonged sleep or something in our mm -hmm. dead bodies, but that our soul does leave our human body to be with God. Mm -hmm. And then 
the people who are still alive when Jesus comes back and the people who have been with God um, because they've died at some other point when the new heaven and new earth are created will be brought mm-hmm. together. Um, yep, no, that's well put. A, a lot of scholars would call that the intermediate state. So, so there is a time where, where the idea of people not being fully embodied um, makes some sense. Mm-hmm. But, but I think a lot of times, at least what it appears this question's as, asking is, people have this notion that heaven is uh, eternal church service of people in disembodied states yeah. floating around in the clouds with harps and angels going, yay, God. Yeah. Um, and so when you do get to the new heaven, new earth um, kind of imagery in scripture, right. Right. what is the imagery uh, point to. Yeah, and I, I, a really common passage for this is because I think it just it, it does walk through in just a couple of verses is Revelation 21, 1 to 4 mm-hmm. um, in John's Revelation. And John says, so chapter 21 verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. That last part, there's no longer any sea. That's I don't know how to explain that. Maybe there won't be an ocean. Um, but Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So already we see in the first two verses there, there will be a new heaven and a new earth that are, that are a new um, or restored creation by God. Um, verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So also in the new heaven and new earth, we know that we will be living with God. Um, mm. And I think so, something that's so encouraging about that is, is, you know, something that's promised to us now because um, we can still be in communion with God, thanks to the Holy Spirit um, in our life on earth here. And, and, and Psalm 1611 says, um, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and etern- with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Um, All right, so, so l- l- let me just yeah. bring you off that for a moment. So you work with middle school kids. Mm-hmm. So what if a middle school kid says to you, heaven doesn't sound like much fun. Sounds like it's kind of a drag. Um, you, you know, you're talking about a new heaven, new earth, and the God there, and, you know, I barely like church. Yeah. Um, why would somebody want that to be in their future? Yeah, and that's a good question. Um, so any, anything that we experience in this life um, that is even a hint of, of joy or, or goodness or fullness or satisfaction um, believer or non-believer is a, is a product of just common grace from God, just common favor from God in, in our world. Um, and I, I believe that all of those things and, and a long list of more of those only can be felt and experienced in the presence of or because of God. Um, and so believing that heaven, the new heaven, the new earth, and heaven in the intermediate state we're talking about will be a place where there is only the attributes of God and, and, and the presence and the fullness of God and hell being a place where there is none completely depleted of that. Um, any, anything that we get fulfillment, that we get satisfaction from, that, that we get joy from, 
those feelings, even if they're not, even if we're not trying to get them from God, those feelings were created by God and will be felt to their fullest extent. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. I said something in a message earlier this fall um, that if you're an unbeliever, the best moments that you experience here on earth are the closest you'll ever be to heaven. Yeah. And if you're a believer, the worst moments that you experience here on earth are the closest you'll ever be to hell. Yeah. And I think that's a, a helpful way to think about it because what you just said, and I think it's, it's well put, is that whenever you have moments of incredible joy, incredible purpose, incredible community, those are all indications and tastes of what will be. And then all of your moments of anguish and anxiety and distress and hurt and pain are, are indications of the potential eternal reality of hell. And, and, and so although we can't totally understand all that heaven is, and we can certainly look at things, um, another resource is the book Heaven uh, by Randy Alcorn, which is a great book about heaven, unpacks a lot of what it can be that isn't the ethereal soul thing. Mm. But sometimes it's easier just to say, you know, when you sit and watch a beautiful sunset somewhere, you're out on a boat somewhere on a beautiful day with friends and family, or you, you know, you make love to your spouse, or you watch a great movie. Those are all moments where your soul feels filled and you say, you know what, that's good. And that's just a little taste of yeah. what heaven will be. And, and I think that's a helpful way to see yeah, it because otherwise, otherwise it's this ethereal thing that's out there and who knows what it is. But I can understand great moments and I can understand bad moments and that they're just a taste of, of where we're headed. Uh, here's, here's a question, and this is um, pretty open-ended. Mm-hmm. So I'm not exactly sure what would be the best approach, but how does one get grace? How do you keep grace? And what if, what if anything can I do to lose grace? Yeah. And I, I loved when I saw that question because it's such a good answer. It's mm-hmm. a, it's such just it's it's so foundational to who God is and to what makes life with him so unique and, and mm-hmm. so something that you can absolutely not get anywhere else or by your own means mm-hmm. um, is grace. And so it's just such a, it's such a good answer. So the, the first question, how do you get grace? Um, Jesus makes it very clear. Um, we've just been walking through the, the gospel of John and for, I don't know, the past five years, I think, in our services. <laughs> Feels that way at times. <laughs> um, but over and over again, he just says, believe in me and you'll have eternal life mm-hmm. over and over and over again. That it's belief in him as, as Lord and Savior that gets that grace, gets that eternal life, and grace being the, the forgiveness and washing clean of absolutely any blemish that sin has left mm-hmm. on our life. Okay, so what about the question about losing grace? Yeah, losing yeah. it. And that's the reason it's such a great answer for that is because— the way, or how do you keep it? And how, yeah, how, how do you hold on to it? it? The way that um, I look at scripture leaves it with you can't. Once you have it, you cannot lose it. Um, and I, I think just to go to scripture for that would be in um, John 10, verses 27 to 29. I think um, Josiah just spoke on those a few, few weeks ago. Um, 
but he says, my sheep know my voice and, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, you know, we just talked a little bit about the power and the, the supremacy of God in that. Um, in the, by the same token that he ordained and designed the world to have sin present in it and is powerful enough to do that and make it work for a good and greater purpose for his glory, it's that same God saying that once I have someone, mm-hmm. there's no one that can take them out of my hand. Not even, yeah. I, I would, and I imagine no one includes yeah. the person themselves. Well, there's, and, and there's probably uh, another layer to this. There's the reality of grace, which is, I think, what you're talking about. Get it through belief, isn't lost. But then there's also the experience of grace. And what I mean by that is, is if grace is getting something you don't deserve or having unmerited favor, whatever phrase you want to use, sometimes you may know it intellectually, but the experience is different. Uh, you know, if I walk into a room that has electricity, the reality of electricity is there. But in order to experience it, I actually need to turn on a light, mm. plug something in. And, and so, so sometimes we have the reality, but we may not be experiencing the reality because we may feel unworthy. We may feel like we have to work for it. And, and really the, the competition for grace at least as I've experienced it today with people, is generally not unworthiness. Um, there used to be a time when people would say, oh, I don't feel worthy of God's mm. grace. The culture that is emerging today, and I don't know if it's uh, all the kids getting blue ribbons when they didn't win the race when they were kids or whatever today, but, but, but my generation and beyond, uh, younger, is it's much more sure, I'm, I'm worthy of grace, but now it's the work side of it. I've earned it. I've, mm. Of course, I'm worthy of it. Of course, mm-hmm. I deserve it because I'm a good person. I fight for justice. Yeah. I clicked like on a, on, a, on a social media post of somebody who was standing against something. I donated some money to a cause. You know what? I, I bought a good, and, and when they asked me if I wanted to round up to fight childhood hunger, I did. And, yeah. and so, of course, I deserve grace. And, and the actual challenge I think that's bigger today is the experience of saying, I actually don't deserve it because of my sin. And, and that's when I realize that, when I see what Jesus has done on my behalf, that I'll actually live in the reality of it more fully. But as long as I um, almost interfere with that reality by feeling good about myself, then I won't actually experience grace. So, so even if it's apart from the reality, the experience sometimes is what's missing. And so I think that the real answer to this is ultimately rehearsing, remembering, uh, rejoicing in the gospel message. Mm. It is always coming back to and saying, this is what Jesus has done on my behalf, because that is how we, we encounter and grow in in our actual reality and experience with God. And, and so that would, would be my hope. Uh, it is for me at least, because, yeah. because if I get away from that, then I start to say, oh, you know, I, yeah, and, I'm doing and the experience isn't, yeah. isn't there. Or maybe I'm not worthy. I mm. mean, you can go to either side yeah. of it. You, yeah. you know, you do something that, you know, you know I've had, had my boys for a while. You know, sometimes kids bring out the worst in you, and sometimes you end up maybe yelling, and, and you know better, and, and you don't want to do it, and, and you just get frustrated, and you're like, Rah! and then you feel, <laughs> feel lousy. And then another day, you control it, and you feel good. And, and either one takes you out of the experience of grace. 
price at the end of the day right. unless you say i'm not worthy but jesus is and he's done what i can't and and that gives us that well we need to leave it there thank you evan thank you for spending part of your day with us uh if you have questions send them to ask a pastor at orchardhillchurch.com we'll be happy to address them in a coming episode have a great day 